Welcome back into another edition of Bearcat Rewind, episode number 99 of the podcast coming to you today. And we are coming down the home stretch of the college basketball regular season with the MIAA tournament just one month away in Kansas City. So after taking some time to catch our breath in January, we're back here on the podcast with another fantastic guest. Today, John McCarthy of Small College Basketball is with us breaking down the Bearcat men's basketball team. Now, if you don't know John, he eats, sleeps, and breathes college basketball. He's the founder of Small College Basketball and puts in so much time and effort into the sport, along with still working another full-time job and being a family man. So it's a lot of fun talking with John. He's always keeping a close eye on Division II in the MIAA, so he can bring us more of that national perspective on Northwest Missouri State men's basketball. I know sometimes we're so close to it, and we see it day in and day out. It's easy for us to be fans of the product that's consistently on the court. But John brings more of that view from 10,000 feet, kind of that national perspective. And so that means so much more when you do hear the way he talks about this Bearcat basketball team. So stay tuned. You're going to enjoy this interview, I promise, on this one. Bearcat Rewind is brought to you by the Northwest Foundation, providing support for the Northwest Alumni Association and the university's funding needs since 1971. More information is on Facebook or online at nwmissouri.edu slash foundation. And Clorinda Regional Health Center, offering support to Southwest Iowa and Northwest Missouri each day during times of uncertainty through a local team of providers and nurses. More information at clorindahealth.com. We're talking with John McCarthy of Small College Basketball about what we've seen from Northwest men's basketball so far here in 2022, the historical season from Trevor Hudgens, and so much more. We're excited to be joined by John McCarthy of Small College Basketball. Uh, not only, John, is it great to hear your voice and to chat with you once again, uh, but typically when we talk, there are big things happening, whether that's, hey, we're kicking up the season with the Small College Basketball Tip-Off Classic, which we'll touch on that 2022 version, which is going to be coming up a little bit later on, of course, in the next season. Um, some big things happening with that. But also, typically, we talk, if it's not the start of the season with those matchups, it's we're kind of heading down the stretch toward March Madness. We've got some big games ahead, so um, it's great to have you on. The season is moving fast. The conference tournaments are in less than a month. Your perspective, what's this season been like for you of everything kind of diving back in? We finally got non-conference play back at the start of the season, and things are rolling. Uh, first of all, Matt, thanks for having me. As, as you know, it's just always a thrill for me to be on. Uh, I just think very, very highly of you, your broadcast, which you guys do uh, for not only Northwest Missouri State, but uh, college basketball and college athletics. Uh, kudos to you. I tip my cap to you for the great job that, that you guys do. Uh, in terms of having, I want to say, a full season back where we're beyond just conference play, that's just good for college basketball. It's good for the players, the coaches. It's good for, for the game of basketball uh, to be able to have full games back uh, in action. And uh, whether they've been postponed in some cases, uh, games are being made up. And it's good for the game. And I'm just happy for the student athletes and the coaches who now get to play a full season in 21-22. So uh, it's been a thrill. And it's, uh, as we've talked in the past, it's a my challenge or one of them as a basketball junkie and with uh, someone that's trying through small college basketball uh, to be knowledgeable, if you will, uh, the challenge is the volume. And by that, I mean, we're trying to cover division two and division three and the NAI and, uh, and a bit of the NCCAA and the USCAA. Uh, we're looking at give or take around 1100 schools around the country uh, that we are representing in various capacities. So the volume makes it a challenge to cover. 
uh, and stay on top of. But boy, it sure is fun. I sure enjoy it. Well, before we got recording, you said last night, I think you watched four ball games. I know you're taking in so much basketball throughout the season. Once we do hit April, what do you do with your free time? Do you kind of detox and, and step away a little bit? <laughs> well, in, in April, we'll have the national award show. We'll honor our national championship coaches, announce our national award winners, and uh, uh, put together a special show for them and our alumni association, et cetera. Uh, but once we get beyond that, uh, the reality is I've got a full-time job. I serve as executive director for a national nonprofit, uh, and uh, and so I, I need to do a good job of <laughs> focusing on our, our full-time job. And then, frankly, as we roll into uh, the summer, we start preparing for the next season. And I know we'll talk about it a little later, but we've got Hall of Fame induction, which we've just begun the process uh, to uh, to work on the class of 2022. We've got the uh, Hall of Fame Classic. And then two weeks later, we'll have the Champions Classic that will launch in 2022. And it's just uh, seems to be ongoing, if you will. Uh, but I do have a full-time job. I have a wife and a son uh, that it's really nice to spend time with them. So when the season gets over, I re- reintroduce myself to my <laughs> wife and my son and uh, hopefully get to enjoy more and more of them. But uh, I sure as heck enjoy, just enjoy the season like crazy. It's so many wonderful people and uh, so many wonderful teams and players to cover. You know, we have to talk about Northwest basketball coming up, but I have to touch on that too. You mentioned reintroducing yourself to your, your wife and kids and everything. We talk about it with coaches all the time because there's so much tape on the road. There's so much going on. But the media standpoint, too, it's a lot of, um, all right, well, season started. I'll see you when things get wrapped up. And um, it takes a special partner, whether it's a coach's wife, uh, you're married to someone within the media, whatever, uh, to be able to keep things uh, rolling in the household while, you know, we're always gone, working, kind of focused on other things within the season. You, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. And that's, heck, that's probably a whole other episode and um uh, and there are there's organizations like Nations of Coaches, for example, and, and Coach Mike Lightfoot that spend a lot of time with coaches uh, on that particular topic of how to manage their time and their relationship with their spouse and their children. Uh, unfortunately, you know, if you just look at coaching across the board in all sports at all levels, um, the divorce rate is high, and it's it's sad. Uh, it's a, it's a challenging scenario and. You know, I, I don't know if we can directly point the finger at you know the, the profession as a as a whole, but it's difficult to manage with the the coaching. Uh, I mean, the scouting, the practice time, the travel time, the recruiting, uh, the film study, and on and on. Uh, it it's a challenge, and so uh, there's there's support support groups out there with nations of coaches and others that really try to help coaches guide them through that process with their spouse. Um, it, it is a real challenge. And frankly, you know, as you mentioned, for broadcasters as well, I mean, you think about it, you know, and, and you live it, you're on the road quite a bit with your, your team. And especially if you're covering multiple sports, uh, your season, if you will, my gosh, if you're covering, covering fall, winter, and spring sports, uh, you're all over the place and you're on the road a whole lot. Uh, it's a, you know, in one regard, Sure, it's a wonderful life because you're you're covering the thrill of victory, so to speak, and the agony of defeat, as they said, um, through the in the power of sports. There's so much great emotion and passion, but the reality is you're on the road a lot. You're away from your family a lot, and uh, and it's it's a challenge to manage. So uh, I, I kind of tip my cap to those coaches who continue to put a great focus on their family 
uh, as well as their team and are able to walk that line and, and balance that very well. And I also tip my cap to those spouses uh, that are able to manage that so well at home as well. It is really a special thing to kind of allow us to pursue the passion like this. So um, kudos to them uh, definitely, too. Uh, we think about it, we're kind of getting into that thick of things where we're not going to see spouses a whole lot as we do get into March Madness and even more travel and focusing on the tournament. Um, but as we think about Northwest Missouri State, kind of wrapping up January into the 1st of February, coming off an 82-71 win over Missouri Southern on uh, Tuesday night here in Maryville. But um, prior to that, the Bearcats had kind of a wild string of games that I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on here. We go from 50 points in Newman, uh, over Newman in Wichita. Uh, the Bearcats could then come back home, down by 19 in the first half against Lincoln, put up 69 in the second half, still win that game by 33 points, an unreal second half, 50 in the second half against Central Missouri. Have you ever seen a run of games like this and the way that Northwest can just kind of flip a switch in the second 20 minutes and really just get rolling? No. <laughs> to be blunt, <laughs> that, uh, that Lincoln game, uh, I mean, was you just phrased it. I mean, from down 19 to winning by 33, uh, that's just remarkable. And that string in the second half, and I was talking to people even after the game, I was up in Maryville uh, here recently this past Saturday, to think, obviously, I've watched a ridiculous amount of basketball from my coaching days, uh, scouting and recruiting and uh, on and on, running the NAI tournament to small college basketball, I've watched a ridiculous amount of games, probably almost unhealthy. Um, I don't know if I recall ever seeing a game where a team make, makes 10 consecutive three-pointers in a half. Uh, I just, you know, people get on, get hot, you know, player hits, you know, two or three in a row, maybe even four, sometimes five. And that's a unbelievable streak. But as a team, to have 10 consecutive threes made in a half um, to go along with, by the way, missing a total of three field goals in a half, 24 for 27. Um, that's more than, hey, we're just hot or we get, you know, went on a streak. That's, that's ridiculous in a good way. Uh, so, so that game was kind of wild. But you, know, you mentioned the string here, if you will. If you think since that loss at Central Oklahoma, uh, and, and I might add that, you know, all but three minutes of that game were played without Wes Dreamer, uh, who I think very highly of on both ends of the court. I think he's really important uh, defensively, rebounding, decision-wise, a six-seven guy that can obviously shoot the three very well, but he's tough inside and outside. I, I think he's a, he's a difference maker for this team, frankly. Um, I mean, we, the, the world knows Trevor Hudgens, and, uh, and as they should, and we'll talk about him more, I'm, I'm sure, but I think um, – since that since that game, you're right. I mean, beat Newman by almost uh, 30, beat Lincoln by 33, Central Missouri by 40, and I watched the game with Missouri Southern uh, on Tuesday. And while it ended up as 11 point game, anybody that watched the game realized it was considerably more than that with a few minutes left in the game. And so the streak that they're on uh, has been incredibly dominating uh, in recent weeks. That the really you know, meshing as as everybody's become healthy with the full roster, um, it, it's been impressive to watch. And frankly, it's been impressive to watch from the early part of the season to now uh, how this team has meshed together. Uh, it's it's a even though they've only had one or two players, couple 
that are different than last season's dominance. Uh, I, you know, I, I know coaches want to focus on who they have and not who they don't have, but it is a little different team without Ryan Hawkins, who's pretty special, I think. No, you're exactly right, and, and that kind of leads us into the next point too. Of there have to be adjustments as you uh, lose players, uh, you know, whether it's graduation, transferring out, whatever the ebbs and flows of a team through uh, year to year. You still have Trevor Hudgens, Diego Bernard, West Dreamer, um, but you do lose such a key cog in Ryan Hawkins, not only the, the stats, but also just a leader of this basketball team. The Bearcats are 20-2. and two. Uh, Potentially, you know, things are setting up to where they control their own destiny as far as winning another outright MIAA regular season title. Is the season unfolding how you expected? Did you think there might be more early season adversity than just a loss to Sioux Falls at this point? You know, um, I... I would say that uh, you know it, it's hard to say you know as you look at a season how things are going to unfold. There's so many variables with uh, with with injuries and opponents and matchups and so on. The advantage, of course, that, that the Bearcats have had is they did have most of their roster back, and uh, one of those is named Trevor Hudgens. You know, and as one coach reminded me uh, after they played them that. As long as Trevor Hudgens is on that court, they've got a chance to beat just about anybody in Division II basketball, or they do, uh, of, of course. But they did have the bulk of their roster back. But as you mentioned, Ryan Hawkins is really special. You know, he's in a, a go-to guy, a lead eight uh, MVP. Uh, he, in, in my mind, he was among the very, very elite players in Division II last year. Uh, you know, you know, like literally first-team All-American type type player. Um, I was very big on Ryan Hawkins, and that's just really one of those where you just don't plug and play, so to speak. I want to tip my cap once again for the umpteenth time to Coach Ben McCollum. Um, The job he's done is just remarkable year in and year out, but but with, with this team in particular, when you, when you remove Ryan Hawkins from this lineup, uh, it's a different team all of a sudden and other players need to step up. They need to get better. They need to mesh defensively and, and, and the flow offensively. It's just different than it was a year ago. Uh, but it's been a joy to watch from that early season, whether it's the Sioux Falls game or our hall of fame tip off classic. I, I think this team, and I think Ben would probably agree. Uh, this is a much better team today than the first three, four or five games of the season. And obviously they're, darn good at that point, but I think they've really begun to gel, and I mean that on both sides of the court. You know, what most people pay attention to statistically is how many, who had how many points and rebounds, assists, and steals, and I obviously follow that quite closely as well, but when you watch them, uh, the sink that they're in defensively uh, is really impressive, um, and I think that Ben did something a year ago that he's, he does each year, uh, and it's somewhat subtle, is he begins to uh, prepare for the last portion of the season, the conference tournament and, and postseason by getting other people into the rotation and more experience uh, around this time of the year. And we've seen, you know, he's play- in addition to, you know, the core guys we talk about all the time uh, with, with Trevor, Diego, uh, Luke and Wes, as, as you're well aware, uh, he has in the rotation on a regular basis now Isaiah Jackson, Byron Alexander, e- even Mitch Mascari, and, uh, and of course, Daniel uh, Abreu, who's really 
uh, in my opinion, really taken nice strides forward this year and really improved. And even towards the end of games, he's starting to get Luke Moustakas uh, more times. So that all of a sudden, when we get to March, it's these players have now played meaningful minutes in meaningful games. Uh, and as we saw last year with Byron Alexander, as an example, uh, who, who came in and ended up, geez, ended up MVP of the, the regional tournament last year coming off the bench. But he had been playing a lot toward the end of the season. And Isaiah Jackson got a lot of experience, got into the rotation. So I think uh, I really tip my cap to Coach Ben McCollum uh, for managing this team uh, so, so well. He's brilliant. Uh, it's not an accident, uh, the success year after year after year. Uh, and, and to lose a player of Ryan Hawkins' caliber and be 20-2 and two against, I might add, against, a really good schedule. Um, this is incredibly uh, impressive what they're doing. Well, I'm glad you brought that up too because, yeah, Byron did, I don't want to say came out of nowhere, but he really burst onto the scene in the biggest moments of the season, whether it was defensively, offensively, he made some big plays for Northwest. And we've seen, you know, bits and pieces of Mitch Muscari leading up to this season, but you're seeing that confidence with him of he's knocked down some big shots. Isaiah Jackson getting so many starts throughout the year that uh, Coach Mack coaches these guys hard and he expects certain things especially to come out and you know what maybe you're going to hit a shot maybe you aren't you're going to play defense for me but all those young guys have really stepped into a role to where you know what one of them might be the Byron this year to where they could be the MVP of the region tournament or the MIAA tournament and it doesn't really surprise you because he has them ready to go even with Trevor Hudgens on the floor they could still step up and do that so it's kind of crazy to think about boy, we could roll into this March, and it could be, maybe it is Luke Moustakas goes off for 25 in a tournament game and, and wins that, but you just don't tend to see that from all these other teams, and not to knock other coaches, but just the way that he does kind of start thinking about March back in November without expressly saying, hey, we're trying to think about that tournament later down the road. Yeah, he's, he's just brilliant. I mean, to be honest, he's brilliant. But what you just mentioned I think is uh, very noteworthy is he's tough on these guys. It's not, you know, behind the scenes just all holding hands and kumbaya and we're going to walk out in the court and win because we're Northwest Missouri State. Uh, when you're up close and you, you know, you have the good fortune of being able to be up close often, home games, away games, et cetera, uh, it is not an accident what they're doing. Yes, they have good players. Yes, they're well coached, but they need to be prepared for game after game. To be honest, at this point, Everybody's coming after them. It's that's the big game on their schedule, right? I mean, you play Northwest Missouri State. That's the big game on the schedule. That's their chance to make their name for themselves, to knock off the uh, the champs. And so every day they need to bring it in practice and games, etc. And so the focus from Coach Mack to each player is is just remarkable. And and, and one of the things that I've been so impressed with is the defensive intensity and consistency. Uh, and, and I think that's often overlooked. You know, Trevor's talked about all the time, and frankly, he should be. He is that good. But I think people sometimes miss defend, the, part of the reason they're so consistent. I mean, we just talked about them hitting 10 threes in a row in the second half. That's ridiculous. I, I don't know if I'll see that again at all. But the reason, in my opinion, at least one of the main reasons they're so consistent is that the defense is so consistent. Even if they don't shoot particularly well a game, uh, even if they 
just don't play real well offensively some games, they're going to be in almost each game and give themselves a chance to win almost every time uh, playing Division II basketball almost against anybody because of how well and how consistent and the intensity that they do they, they play with on, on the defensive side of the ball. Um, they're, they're not, it's not an accident. We know that comes from Coach McCollum. Uh, and, and as you just mentioned it, he's tough on them. It's it's not an accident. It's but that's the way they practice, and that's the way they play. So we had the fortune of seeing you up here uh, over the weekend as Northwest uh, took down Central Missouri by forty points, and you got to see a, see a special night too as Trevor Hutchins became Northwest's all time leading scorer. He has now two thousand four hundred eighty four points, but in that ball game, passed Justin Pitts for the scoring record with the Bearcats. Uh, he's already the MIAA all time three point shooter, uh, three hundred eighty one three point makes. He got that the prior game uh, that passed Zach Schneider's record. He held that for a while. He's the Northwest career leader in assists with six hundred. 29. He has Northwest's uh, highest free throw percentage throughout a career at 87.6%. Other uh, records that are going to come down. And this isn't with an extra COVID year. This is in four years of Trevor Hudgens. So as someone who, uh, you know, with small college basketball, handing out the Bevo Francis Award, which goes to the, the top small college basketball player in the country, when you see Trevor, have you ever seen one quite like him playing at this level? No. Um, no, I haven't. I, and Justin Pitts, as you mentioned, uh, was a terrific college basketball player. And I, I, I want to, you know, kind of give some kudos to Justin, as since you mentioned his name, uh, he won our Bevo Francis Award the second year that we had the award. Uh, as a junior, I might add, he he won the award. Uh, obviously, towards the end of his senior year, he was he was injured and not able to play in the NCAA tournament. Unfortunately, his senior year, uh, and Justin was a terrific college basketball player. It's not an accident that he won the Bebo France Award. It's not an accident. He was a national player of the year as a junior, won the national championship. Uh, and, and to put things in perspective, then, you're talking with Trevor, somebody who has surpassed Justin Pitts in terms of statistically with he's won two national titles. He's now surpassed him in scoring and surpassed him in assists surpassed him in three points, uh, three pointers made in his career. Uh, and as you mentioned, this is not with an extra year. Frankly, at this point, uh, we still have a bit of the season left to play and postseason in his senior year. Last year where the number of games was reduced because of the COVID scenario uh, and the year before the tournament was canceled. And so, Trevor's doing this in a less period of time in terms of number of games and opportunities. Uh, I, I am, um, I, I got to be a little careful because the Bevo Francis Award needs to run through its whole process. Of course, the season needs to play itself out. There's a lot of basketball left to be played. Uh, but Trevor is, um, I want to be careful how he says, <laughs> he's, he's really special. He's, uh, he's what, I've been watching this stuff closely for quite a while now, uh, for a long time, for, for decades at, at, at this point, from coaching and, and so on. He's easily up among the very best point guards uh, I've seen in NCAA Division II basketball, in, in, in not just this year, I mean in, in decades. Uh, he's among the very, very best. I'm careful about using the term best. Uh, a lot of people can have a great game. Uh, you know, and, and somebody can come and just shoot the lights out one game. Other people uh, can have a great streak of several games in a row. But in terms of 
consistently effective and efficient and the impact on a game and impact on winning. Um, if I've got my numbers correct, uh, we're now uh, roughly, what, two-thirds of the way through his fourth his senior season here. And at this point, I believe, Trevor Hudgens has lost a grand total of five games. What is he, 116, 117, and five? Yeah, Something that like right. that, if I, yeah. if I recall. And has not lost an NCAA tournament game. Uh, his first two games as a college player, he played in our uh, Hall of Fame Classic and was the MVP in his first two collegiate games. Later that season, as a freshman, uh, he was the MVP of the Elite Eight. Uh, it's, it's, it's one thing to read off the statistics. Uh, and, you know, you look and shoot, see, you know, this year he's shooting 91% from the free throw line. He's averaging 25 a game. I mean, we can spit off all the statistics, but then when you consistently watch him play and watch how he controls the tempo of a game, what's amazing to me is, is Trevor's already, as of now, the all-time leading scorer in the school's history and all-time assist leader, as you just mentioned, and all-time leader in three-pointers made. But if you watch him play, he does not force it. He controls the tempo of the game, and you could see that after you watch him enough, you start to realize that he genuinely does not care who gets the credit. He does not care who scores. He's there to help the team win. And I think it's very safe to say he does a heck of a job uh, of helping the team win. It is, um, he's among the very, very best uh, that I've ever seen as a point guard in Division II basketball. I'll say that. But, again, we need to let the season play itself out to see how it finishes up with the regular season, conference tournament, and so on. Um, but he's really special. And, and one more comment uh, on, on him, and this is, I think this is important, is that the way he carries himself – is really a, a tribute to him, his mother, and his father, uh, and the program at Northwest Missouri State. He carries himself with class. He competes like crazy, he, and and that's I think something that may be under uh, overlooked at times is the fact he really competes, but he handles himself with class, with dignity, and his and and, and I think he respects the game. He respects the program. Uh, an absolute class act. Uh, kudos to his parents and to the program at Northwest Missouri State, because uh, Trevor Hudgens is a is a real tribute to that program and to his parents. So I just I'm so impressed with him, not only as a player, but as a human being. Um, he's really really impressive. Great job, Trevor. You know he's one that we're we get to work with quite often. Obviously he has those games. We have him up for post game. Genuinely a nice kid, very polite, and and we've heard from Coach Mack a few times. It's you're recruiting the player, but you're also recruiting the parents. You want to see, um, talk to them, see how they handle certain situations, how it might play out for him as he matures, but also um, kind of how the, the parents react in certain situations. And, and obviously a good job of recruiting on that end too because, as, as you said, uh, fantastic people raising him too. So um, it's been a delight to have Trevor uh, as a Bearcat. Can I put you on the spot for one real quick as a guy that <laughs> you mentioned you've seen so much basketball over the years. Um He's a six-foot guard out of Manhattan, Kansas, playing Division II basketball. What's that leap like to the NBA? Is that is that a realistic thing that we wrap up this year that he has that chance to make it? Uh, for very few, it's it, it's a it's a big leap, uh, and it's you know, Coach Coach Mack and I've talked about this a little bit. Uh, a couple of the challenges are a combination of 
coming from Division II, uh, but the measurables. Uh, you know, he's not 6'4", doesn't jump out of the gym. Uh, he's not the, not the fastest, not the quickest, uh, not the best athlete, doesn't have the, uh, the measurables. But I would encourage, and I, I hope at some point, some uh, NBA scouts and so on, uh, l- listen to this, listen to Coach Mack. Uh, what you're looking at with Trevor Hudgens is not about measurables. It's not about how tall you are, how, how fast you run, uh, what, what you do at the shuttle run. Watch him play basketball. He will help you win. I think in his case, he's one of the very rare uh, Division II players that has a legitimate shot uh, at playing at the NBA. Uh, ultimately, that will be, have to be some general manager's uh, decision, of course. I think that he's really special, and I think that he is one of those very rare ones that will get a serious look uh, at the NBA. Um, I, I know, you know, factually, there are teams looking at him clearly, uh, but I, I hope that they take it very seriously uh, with Trevor Hudgens because I think that whether it's right away out of college or whether it's shortly thereafter, if you watch him play basketball enough and, and quit worrying about how tall is he, how quick does he run the shuttle run, how quick does he run a sprint, um, and watch how effective and efficient he is and watch how he helps your team win. And at the end, at the end of the day, uh, NBA executives, NBA teams want to win. And Trevor Hudgens can help you win. And so I think, and this is, this is a rare situation for Division II basketball, I think he's one of those unusual prospects that doesn't look like he fits the measurables that they're looking for, but is a good enough basketball player to deserve a very, very hard look because I think he can help people. He can help teams win. And he's also the type of person that you're going to want on your team. So uh, I think it's very realistic that he's going to, I don't have any doubt, he's going to get the tryouts. He's going to get the invites to certain camps and team camps and league camps and summer league and so on. And then he'll have to prove himself. But I really hope that those executives um, don't do it as a token to say, hey, we're giving a Division II player an opportunity. I hope they look at him as somebody that, hey, this young guy has a chance to really be part of our program, our team, because he can help us win. I think if they give him a, a fair shot and a hard enough look and watch him consistently over a period of time, I think he has a legitimate shot. We love having Trevor here. Obviously, he's done so many great things for Northwest Missouri State. You hate to overlook the backcourt mate, though, because Diego Bernard has also been fantastic throughout his career. And in just a couple numbers that I looked up that, again, it gets overlooked because Trevor's been so great, what Ryan Hawkins did, Justin Pitts before that. But when you think about Diego, sixth all-time in rebounds at Northwest already, ninth in assists, seventh in steals, and he's 120 points from being top 10 in Northwest history um, scoring-wise. He's had an unbelievable full stat line for his career. He's filled up the box score throughout his career, game by game by game. When you look at those two together, I mean, that's just, it feels like an unstoppable force when they take the floor. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty good, isn't he? Uh, <laughs> what's, what I think is neat is between Diego, I, I, I want to say supporting cast, but that's, that's not fair to the others. 
each of these players, somebody like a Diego, you put him on a lot of other Division II teams in the country and he's the best player on the team. Uh, but I think what's something that Coach Mack has done is taken some really talented players. So Diego Bernard's a great example and gotten them to buy into the team concept of how, what's your role to help this team win. And Diego uh, is, you know, you just mentioned some really impressive statistics career wise uh, for Diego. Uh, and with the presumption that he's coming back again next year, he's going to move up the ladder uh, and, and be among the, the very top leaders in Northwest history in scoring, rebounding, assists, and steals. Uh, what's, when you watch him play, uh, his energy, of course, kind of jumps off the page with you know, his defensive intensity, the way he comes at you on offense, uh, just so difficult to guard because of his athletic ability. Uh, but there's, what's neat about Diego is there could be a game, and has happened, when Diego will have three or five or six points and be a completely uh, crucial part of helping the team win because he may have six or seven rebounds and four or five assists and two or three steals, a block or two, uh, and multiple deflections that lead to steals. Diego impacts a game well beyond the box score. I, I think for people to, um, to evaluate Diego, I think you need to watch him in person. I think you need to watch him often to, to appreciate how he impacts a game. Uh, as we mentioned with Trevor, Diego's been that backcourt mate with him starting since his freshman year and, uh, and together. I mean, literally, we've lost five games in almost four complete seasons here. And, and the same thing, Diego has not lost an NCAA tournament game. That's ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> and, and so so impressive, uh, the little things that Diego does. And, and you know, I, I want to just mention something that a player like him, uh, while he's well-known in the MIAA and in a lot of cases around the country uh, because of the fact they won, won a couple of national titles and spent so much time number one in the country, and he started for, for since day one uh, on this team, uh, people know who he is. But he's also sacrificed some of his numbers for the greater good of the team. And, you know, I, in that game when we saw Trevor become the school's all-time leading scorer, on Saturday, I thought Coach Mack brought up a good point. He said, as they knew that he was, that Trevor was getting close, did you notice that Diego kept looking for, for Trevor and kept trying to find him open to get him that record? I talk, how selfless is that? Your backcourt teammate's about to become the school's all-time leading scorer, and all you're doing is driving and dishing and trying to find him. Uh, I think that spoke volumes uh, about the selflessness of Diego Bernard without even um, him having to say, nobody had to say anything. Everybody observed what he was doing there. I was trying to find Trevor open rather than try to worry about scoring himself. Um, really, uh, really impressive. And just, you know, so much goes beyond the box score with Diego. For people that haven't seen him play, I encourage you to get to watch him play often. Uh, what, a, what a great ball of energy. What great uh, competitiveness that he brings to this program. He is so much fun to watch. Overflows with talent, but that unselfishness, like you mentioned, and uh, his parents, Chris and Rella, love basketball, and every single ball game, no matter where they're at, they're always there. Um, and he was coached in high school at Lafayette by Chris Neff, who then went to Staley and, and coached Byron Alexander in high school. But I think there's an interesting dynamic between Chris Neff and Ben McCollum to where very different people, and, and Chris Neff's kind of smooth and an easygoing guy, and Ben sometimes a little bit more uptight. 
but the way they coach and the way they get stuff out of their players and get the most and and it's all about for the team and the greater good it's an interesting dynamic that you know Diego rolls in and Byron roll in and um, coach Mack is getting the most of them just like coach Neff did in high school so uh, so fun to watch just, those guys there just quick note on that I I saw Byron play at high, in high school with uh, Coach Neff, and then I went to watch them several weeks ago, Staley High School, uh, with Coach Neff, and spent a little bit of time after the game talking with him. Uh, just as a note, he's a really good coach. Yeah. He does a terrific job. And you're right, maybe uh, a bit of different personality between Coach McCollum and Coach Neff, but make no mistake, Coach Neff can coach. Mm. He's really good uh, defensively as well. And so the transition for a Diego and for a Byron may not be as significant as for many other players because they've come up under a coach that's, one, just so darn good on both ends of the ball, but two, uh, they've learned how to play defense in high school as well. Uh, So there's almost always going to be a transition, but when you go from Coach Neff to Coach McCollum, it may not be nearly as big as for many other players. Well, and it's funny, too, whenever he was at Lafayette and he sent Bryston Williams to Northwest, Xavier Kurth to Northwest, Diego Bernard to Northwest, and um, and I was working media in St. Joe at the time, and Coach Neff's like, Northwest is kind of our Duke. If we can get guys there, we want them to go there. They're going to be successful. They're going to win. Great coaching. And um, something always stuck to me, like, all right, we'll take that comparison to Duke. That's all right. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was going to say, I would, I, could, I would imagine there could be worse comparisons, right? Oh, yeah, so, definitely, definitely. Standard. Uh, so real quick we look at it uco looks like a tournament team as they uh continue to progress the rest of the miaa after northwest and uco gets a little bit uh scattered there and then you look at the nsic and minnesota duluth's seventh in the country augustine it's 11th upper iowa's number 19 when you look at this region do you have a prediction for where the region tournament goes and and does it still kind of is northwest still that favorite as you look at it I, I stay out of pr- the prediction world uh, in my role. I'm supposed to be pretty neutral okay, with okay. everybody. But but I will say that uh, I have seen Augustana. I've seen Upper Iowa. I've seen them both in person. Uh, I've seen Minnesota Duluth. Uh, those are all good teams. And uh, all three are, are really good college basketball teams. And UCO is a really good college basketball team. Uh, in the MIAA, I also want to uh, kind of keep our eye on an Emporia State who's had a really nice run. Uh, thus far this year. And, and the other one uh, to keep an eye on as we get to the last few weeks of the season here in the tournament, once again, is Washburn. You know, as you know, when they began the season in the first two minutes of the first game, uh, you know, just heart-wrenching to see Tyler Guyman go down. I happened to be there uh, for that one. And I think everybody's aware uh, how much he means to that team. And so he missed you know, the first, I don't remember what it was, month, five weeks of the season uh, with an ankle injury. Johnny Clausing was out with an injury, their big 6'9 guy. Um, and, and they were missing you know, a total of three starters for the first you know, month, month and a half of the season. And uh, now they've got, you know, Guyman is back, Johnny Clausing's back, and it's taken a little bit to mesh together now uh, after missing you know, well over a month of the season. But all of a sudden, uh, Washburn is starting to put the pieces together. Of course, uh, you know, Brett does a terrific job with that team as you know, coaching that, uh, uh, that team. Washburn, I, I would just keep an eye on Washburn, keep an eye on Emporia State, uh, and, and certainly it's such a deep league It'll be interesting to see who else in the last few weeks emerges uh, in the league. But certainly as we sit here today uh, in early February, uh, Central Missouri, I'm sorry, uh, Northwest Missouri and uh, UCO 
are, uh, are, are the leaders into the clubhouse at the moment. Uh, but we still have quite a bit of basketball left to play. Uh, I would say, you know, you just named, you know, in the region, the teams to keep an eye on, certainly. Of course, our Northwest, you know, as you look at it today, would be the, the top team in the region. Uh, but Augustana is really good and they're really well coached. Upper Iowa is you know, solid and deep. Uh, they, their leading scorer has been out for a number of games, and uh, we'll, we'll see if he's able to get, get back in action and how, how he's able to get back in the flow in the coming weeks. And uh, Duluth's really good. they got a, a couple really good players along with a couple young players. They're well coached. Uh, watched their game against Ferris State, and that's uh, that's a good basketball team. So uh, once again, I know it's not surprising, but once again, the Central Region's loaded. There's, there's a lot of really good uh, basketball teams in the Central Region right now. So uh, I, once again, it's just they're loaded, which is going to make a great MIAA tournament, and it should make a great Central Region tournament. Uh, uh, at at, the, at this, uh, as we look at it sitting here today, should be a whole lot of fun to watch. I'm fired up for what the next couple months bring. At the same time, though, uh, John, we need to start telling Bearcat fans, you got to start booking a flight to go to Florida coming up next November at Lakeland, Florida, the site of the Small College Basketball Hall of Fame tip-off classic coming up there. This should be a lot of fun. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. Just a moment ago, you mentioned about how Diego's parents travel all over the place. Uh, I was walking out on Saturday and spent a few minutes. Coach McCollum was talking with Diego's parents. And I said, you, you coming to Florida next November and uh, this coming November? And they said, oh, yeah, we'll be there. <laughs> and uh, and so they, they're already planning on going. Uh, we're going to be moving the uh, Hall of Fame Classic uh, to Lakeland, Florida, as you mentioned, uh, November 5th and 6th off the top of my head, I believe, or 6th and 7th, that Saturday, Sunday, uh, first weekend in November. Uh, you know, tip my cap and thank the Division II Conference Commissioners Association. As of this past week, they've extended the exemption once again another year, so it stays uh, three-year rolling exemption. So for years to come, uh, it will remain an exempt event. We signed a three-year agreement uh, with the folks in Lakeland, Florida. I want to thank the Polk County Tourism Sports Marketing, as well as Florida Southern College with our three-way agreement uh, to bring this to Lakeland. And, uh, I mean, to be honest, I'm excited. The odds are pretty good. It's going to be 75 degrees and sunny <laughs> while we uh, tip off the basketball season. And we're also expanding that uh, from eight teams to ten teams as well. And if you look at you know this, this year's preseason poll, for example, of course, the Bearcats were number one and will be coming down. Number two is Flagler. They'll be there. Uh, number two in the country at the moment at 19-0 and 0 is Nova Southeastern. They'll be there. Uh, the, the field is loaded again. Hillsdale will be there. Uh, Minnesota, uh, Moorhead will be there. Dallas Baptist will be there. Um, you know, of course, of course, Florida Southern will be there. Uh, Valdosta State will be there. Uh, it's just the, the field's loaded, and it's going to be a whole, whole lot of fun. Queens, my gosh, uh, they're loaded. They've won six straight and are 19 and three as of, uh, as we talk today. Uh, it's just a loaded field and should be a lot of fun. Uh, for all those listening, those Bearcat fans that are listening, uh, book your flight. Come on down to Lakeland, Florida. It's going to be a, a wonder, hopefully wonderful weather. I can't, I can't predict the future on that one, but I can tell you it's going to be a heck of a field uh, that's going to be down there in Lakeland, Florida. Come on down and enjoy some great basketball. John, you do a tremendous job with small college basketball, and, and I know this was, is an event that, of course, we've got to partake in down in St. Joe quite often, and we love it. It's always fun to see the teams. They're always top-notch. There's great basketball games. This year it was fun because we got to see Northwest play Seattle Pacific for the first time ever. That matchup with Queens will be the Bearcats' first time ever taking on them, so there's always a different matchup that you haven't seen before. So 
Um, and heck, a uh, couple years ago, three years ago at this point, whenever Northwest played Damon, was the first time ever seeing Andrew Cisco and, and a guy like that that we kind of keep up with his career as he goes through and, and finishes up things with his college basketball career. So it's just fun to be able to pick out these little things and say, we would never see this particular team, this player, this coach ever if it wasn't for this event. So we appreciate you having Northwest Missouri State in it once again and all the things that you do for uh, Division Two basketball as a whole. Well, thank you so much, Matt. Obviously, it's uh, it's a thrill to have Northwest Missouri State in the event. And as a note, this coming year, therefore, will make Northwest uh, the first team to ever play in the event four times. They will, as of this next year, they will surpass any other school in terms of number of times uh, they've played in the event. And uh, we welcome them back as they're uh, uh, been you know the standard, if you will, in the last decade of college basketball at the Division II level, and uh, and it's great to have a program of that caliber coming back year after year. And, you know, as you mentioned, Queen's going to get a chance to play them this coming year, who's been uh, awfully good. I believe under Bart Lundy, the Queen's has been to either four or five elite eights and uh, has them rolling once again and should return. It looks like their entire roster or their entire rotation for next year. Uh, and as I mentioned, they're 19-3 at the moment right now. And, we'll, and the Bearcats will also play Flagler who is preseason uh, number two in America this year. So number one and number two preseason this year uh, will match up uh, early in the season next year down in Florida. So, uh, again, I'm biased, uh, but I think we're bringing in some pretty darn good teams, some really good coaches, some programs with great history. Uh, If you enjoy college basketball, and, again, I realize I'm biased, but if you enjoy college basketball, my gosh, what a great weekend. Ten college basketball games, in this case, in two days in sunny Florida. Uh, come on down to Florida, enjoy some great basketball, and uh, and come just enjoy a great event. And I think you'll really, really enjoy it. If you're a college basketball fan, uh, it'll be a special place to be next November. Can't beat it. It's going to be a lot of fun. If folks want some more information, head online to smallcollegebasketball.com. Click on the link and uh, kind of go from there, too. So, John, thank you so much for your time. I took too much of your time here on this Thursday. But uh, hopefully, whether it's uh, coming up in the next month or maybe down to the MIAA tournament, we'll uh, catch up again soon. Terrific. Hey, thanks so much, Matt. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Thanks again to John McCarthy joining us today on the podcast. Please head over to smallcollegebasketball.com to learn more about him, the awards, uh, the classics he has coming up within the next year. You can also check him out on Twitter. His handle is at smcollegehoops. Be sure to check out some of our past podcasts as well. We've had Brandon Simpson, a former Northwest Missouri State football player, now putting out some of the finest barbecue in the Kansas City area. We've had Colin McDonough and Joe Quinlan. We've had Mallory McConkie, Jillian Fleming, West Dreamer, and so many more. So please check out those archived episodes of the podcast. Thanks to Alex Kurt, a Northwest Missouri State professor, producing our intro and outro music. And thank you for tuning in to Bearcat Rewind. I'm Matt Tritton saying so long. <laughs>